here live from America and just outside the Matrix. It's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Rob from Philly, the producer, and this is The Backstory. So we got a uh, great show lined up for you today. Uh, we have a, a great interview that Lee Stranahan did earlier today with the legendary David Icke. It's going to be uh, great to hear David. You know, he's a legend and he's been labeled a conspiracy theorist. But, you know, as you're going to hear in this clip, uh, it's that's not really who he is. And he's been mislabeled by a lot of people. And then in the second hour, we're going to come back with Lee Stranahan and uh, Carmen Sabia. And this and, and, and much, much more here on The Backstory. Now, welcome to the backstory. It is my pleasure and great honor to introduce author, lecturer, and student and teacher of hidden history, David Icke. Mr. Icke, welcome. Thank you, Lee. So, so uh, I have so much to talk to you about. I'm a huge fan and have been very influenced by your work ever since I saw a lecture you did years ago about the roundtable groups. You remember that bit of your your teaching used to do? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember all that. Yes, yeah, that's back in the nineteen nineties. I I was doing that. Yeah, it's uh, incredibly relevant to today still. Yes, I I agree. And I, as a reporter, I've covered RussiaGate, and actually a lot of that stuff is relevant to RussiaGate in a very specific way. I like to talk to you about. But first, I was preparing for this, and I I begin to Google you a little bit, and the current narrative on you, and I've seen, you've been censored quite a bit lately. Gee, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, like massively, yeah. <laughs> and it seems to me, one of the stories that they talk about, there's two main stories, and one of them is a story that I was able to confirm was a lie just by watching the interview. It's a famous blue jogging suit interview from decades ago where they said that you claimed you were the son of God. And all I did was I watched the interview and that is 100% false. You do not claim that. In fact, you interrupt the interviewer several times to say, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we're all children of God which is quite different than claiming that you're the son of God, right? Yeah, my, my philosophy on life is that um, we are all expressions of one infinite whole, but we are unique expressions of it because our, if you like, consciousness, point of attention, experience has been different to others. So we have different uh, views on life and 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 on the world but ultimately we're all expressions of one unified force which some people call god some people call other names but uh it's always um it's always struck me uh, how many things that different religions have in common rather than the divisions that drive them apart uh, so yeah, we're all expressions of of the one whole. But um, 
you know, if you're trying to discredit someone, well, you know, distort that. That's what happened. And and the other one that comes up, which I'll let you explain, is the lizard people one, the reptile. I know many people, when I mentioned I was going to be interviewing you on Twitter, I got a bunch of people talking about the reptile. I've never personally heard you. No one said, oh, he's the guy who did a great thing on the roundtable groups. So this is a way, I, I think, of smearing you. Do you want to... What do you, what do you say about the smear against you about reptile people? Well, I don't take it to be a smear. I take it to be an expression of the ignorance that so many people, unfortunately, spend their entire lives living in. Um, what happened, Lee, is that when I started to understand in the 1990s uh, that uh, the people that were directing world events were not the people that we thought were directing them, they weren't presidents and prime ministers and the people in uh, uh, elected authority. That, that was a, there was a network behind them, working through them, some knowingly being worked through, mostly not knowingly, uh, and that there was an agenda for the world that this um, network was um, driving and heading towards. And... Um, is people read my my earlier books, uh, they'll see that current events were uh, not predicted then because it's not really predicting. It's not about sitting in a darkened room, pulling this stuff out of the ether. It's about accessing um, a plan for the world, which unless it is headed off by people becoming aware of it, will unfold. So uh, predicting the future is not so much predicting the future, it's predicting the plan if the plan is not thwarted. And therefore, what I wrote in my books years ago is now happening because the plan is playing out, although now we're starting to get, hallelujah, um, ever greater pushback on it. So I, I saw in the early 90s that this, um, this shadowy network uh, was in operation. So obviously, my next question is, when did it start? Because um, it obviously was not five years ago or 10 years ago. So I, um, I started going back, and, and you can go back through the, the British Empire, back through the Roman Empire, you can get into, into Babylon and Sumer in what is now called Iraq. And you can, you can chart this um, through the ages, all the time gathering more and more and more uh, power on a global level. So um, you have the empires of the, the Babylonians, you have the empire of, of the Romans, you have the empire of the, uh, the British and the other European empires. And then you, you followed that with globalization. And all the time as power in the world was more and more centralized and centralized and centralized, these this fewer and fewer people were dictating the lives of more and more people to the point where it's now global. Uh, so I looked at this and my next question was, well, there's got to be a unifying force that um, brings this together. Because what you've got is people being born, playing a part in this cabal, what I call the global cult now, um, and then dying, 
and other people taking it on and the same process going on and on and on. And there had to be some unifying force. And um, then I uh, started to realize the, because uh, all these things have to be encompassed to really get a, a grasp on what's actually going on. Then you start to realize that actually the world we think is the world is actually only a tiny band of frequency that the five senses, like the visual senses, can decode. And according to mainstream science, the, uh, the electromagnetic spectrum is about 0.005% of what exists in the universe. And visible light, which is the only frequency band that we can see, is a smear of the 0.005%. So obviously, humans, uh, it became clear to me, are basically blind in the sense of what they can see in the space, the energetic field that they are observing and decoding into this reality. And then, uh, again, very synchronistically, especially after I went to America and really spent a lot of time there after 1996, in 1996 and onwards, I started coming across more and more um, information from people, many and various kinds, including insiders of the industrial military intelligence complex, you might call it, that actually the network that I'd identified by then was ultimately being controlled um, from outside of this reality and it was being controlled by a non-human force. And I then started to look back. I thought, well, hold on a minute. If, if this is true, then this is obviously not been going on for five minutes again. So there must be evidence for it in the ancient world. The ancients must, be, must have been talking about this. So I started scanning ancient legends and accounts and you find an extraordinary common theme in which they are describing this. And they, they, they call this force different names. And when historians and anthropologists have gone into these cultures, they've taken these different, quote, gods to be um, just the gods of the, the, the tribe or the, the culture. Um, but when you listen to how they're described and how others in other parts of the world describe their, quote, gods, manipulating from the unseen, the, it, the common themes are absolutely com stunningly compelling. So you have the Gnostics talking about a non-human force called the Archons, Greek for rulers, which uh, is manipulating humanity. Um, you have um, Christians talking about uh, demons. You have the Gnostics talking ab about the Archons, which are basically the demons uh, of Christianity. You have Islam talking about the jinn manipulating this reality from beyond human sight. Then I went to South Africa and I met a, a Zulu shaman called Credo Mutwa who told me about uh, what they call the Chittahori, the children of the serpent uh, 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 that were manipulating humanity from the unseen. And you start to put this together and, and what you need what you need is no preconceived idea. If you've got a preconceived idea of A, what's going on, and B, you have uh, a belief system 
which repels all borders and will not go anywhere outside that belief system, there is no way in the world that we are going to uncover what's really going on because the answers lie well beyond any of that stuff. And so what I've, what I've done, I've, I've basically said to people, this is what I've found. Make of it what you will. I am the last person on earth that wants you to, con to convince you of anything because this world is drowning and historically it has been drowning in people seeking to impose their belief system on other people. And what it does, and my God, are we experiencing it now? What that does is stop the free flow of information and opinion from which we can all learn from each other. So you had the um, the, 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 the mass killing of people uh, through the, the religions of those that um, were having a different view of the religions, with the, of life, with the inquisitions, etc. But what have we got today, Lee? We've now got the global inquisition uh, of um, one narrative, i.e. authorities narrative, being um, protected, because the only way it can be, because it's a nonsense, um, through absolutely hysterical uh, extreme levels of censorship. And, and it's the same process all through. It's just taking a different form, and now it's gone global, but it's the same thing thing that's gone on throughout human history. You have a narrative, you want to enforce it on others so you stop anyone else having a different opinion or at least expressing it. Uh, and in that way, we have got to a point where we believe absolute absurdities because A, people believe them without question because they don't uh, think they should be questioned because authorities told them. And then we have another group that believes absurdities, or at least uh, uh, makes out it does, because it's terrified of saying anything to challenge the absurdity. And you can see the absurdities now in, in terms of, uh, of, of biology and, and, and all the rest of it. But it's like Voltaire said, People who will commit, uh, who will believe absurdities will commit atrocities. Because once you start believing absurdities, either because you don't question them or you're frightened of questioning them, then your mind has been handed over to authority. And from that connection, they can make you commit uh, atrocities, uh, which is uh, what history is littered with. No, th that's a great explanation. And thank you for that. Uh, when I started listening to a number of these talks lately have listened to by you. I've been a full fan for about 30 years of the British philosopher, Alan Watts, the Zen Buddhist philosopher, and I detected uh, an influence on you. Was I making that up in my head or am I correct that you've been influenced to some extent by Alan Watts? Well, that's a very interesting point because um, it took me a long time to find Alan Watts. And um, I, I had concluded a lot of things about the reality and, uh, uh, and consciousness and um, the way the psyche works. And, um, and then I came across him and uh, it was extremely confirmatory of uh, and confirming of what, um, of what I'd concluded. So, 
there is a heck of a lot that he said that I um I, I would go along with absolutely for sure. But it wasn't that I heard him and then came to conclusions. I came to conclusions and then heard him, uh, which is the best way of doing it because then you know it's 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 confirming your uh, conclusion rather than delivering your conclusion. No, that's a good point. And I, I've talked lately on the show about my concern is that one of Alan Watts's point, he he worried about the post-industrial, the killing of spirituality and the rejection of, of everything spiritual. But on the other hand, he was not a believer in conventional religion. And it's the out of the frying pan in the fire. I know you're as someone who's concerned about globalization, you see what's become of environmental concerns and how global warming is being used as a tool of control. Yeah. But I know that in your uh, back in the nineties, you you would frequently talk about concerns you had about the health of the planet. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point because I've I've just got a, a book just coming off the printers now called The Trap, which um, goes really really deep into the nature of what the trap is, which is much deeper than just the world that we see. Uh, and the first three chapters are um, biographical for reasons that are, are clear in the book, and it it allowed me to kind of look at my my life before I uh, had my awakening to a, another reality in 1990. And then the Wogan show followed in um, 1991. And I, I started to see, well, I've seen it before, but it was really blatant to me as I, I wrote those three chapters, that my life before was giving me what I needed before this whole thing became conscious to me in 1990. For instance, um, I was um, a footballer and I, um, I had to play as a professional footballer with rheumatoid arthritis for uh, much of my career. And um, so uh, you need some serious determination to, uh, to play professional football with rheumatoid arthritis, I can tell you, especially on cold English mornings when you're uh, you're warming up for training uh, and we're in agony every morning. So that triggered a real determination in me not to go under. And then I became a journalist, a written journalist in newspapers and radio and then television with the BBC. So I was able to see how the media worked. And, and then I, I got involved in environmental um, campaigning and then politics for, for a short time. And it, in a ridiculously short time, I mean, it was just crazy, man. I, um, I, I joined the Green Party uh, not long after it had been uh, changed its name from the Ecology Party. And through a series of the most extraordinary, uh, quote, coincidences, I, I was a national spokesman for it in Britain within literally a matter of weeks. Uh, it was ridiculous. And I didn't stay long because in that period when I was a national spokesman for the Green Party, uh, there was... Um, the, the Green Party in Britain got its biggest vote um, ever, got two million votes in the European elections of, uh, what was it, 1989, something around that time. 
And uh, that wasn't because of me. It was because there was a lot of things going on uh, highlighting environmental concerns at the time. And it was a bit of a protest vote. But um, it was... Uh, it, it, it got me into national politics for a very short time. Uh, but in those days, and this is the reason I got involved with the Green uh, Party, um, the Green Movement was about environmental concerns. It was about uh, what deforestation. It was about pollution. It's about polluting rivers, about putting chemicals in rivers that were turning fish uh, uh, to another sex, you know. Uh, and what it's become is a vehicle, just like the whole woke mentality, for imposing the will of this global cult, the global agenda of this global cult, uh, while the green movement and the wokers claim to be anti-establishment, they're actually promoting everything that establishment wants. And so the whole focus of environmental concerns, and and you know you, you you look at the 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 masks in the the, the COVID uh, era. Uh, I mean, the Green Party that I was involved in, the Green Movement I was involved in in the eighties, nineteen eighties, would have been kicking off about all the all these bloody masks everywhere and in the in the oceans and in the rivers, but not this one. This has been completely and utterly uh, absorbed. Um, into this whole system. So now its focus is on only what it claims to be human-caused global uh, warming, climate change, which is being justified or is being used to justify the very uh, uh, global agenda that I've been exposing all these years. But when I look back at my life, um, that was a very important part of my life, really because it allowed me to see politics from the inside for a start, so I could see that actually it was uh, never going to be a, a way of changing anything for the better. Uh, that has to be done directly by the population, not by politics. Politics is not there to instigate positive change on behalf of the people, it's there to stop it, as we're now seeing. I mean, you know, I've been talking for decades about the fact that we live in one-party states, uh, masquerading as political choice, and now it's becoming bloody obvious, whether it's Britain, America, or every, anywhere. So it also allowed me to see, and, and it wasn't anything like as extreme then, nothing like as extreme as it is now, but it allowed me to see the um, the mentality of the, the, the Green Movement uh, and the naivety of it. Uh, and it's gone on to become just a, a vehicle for everything that I'm trying to challenge, which is uh, which is ironic, but it was a, a real great experience to see it from the inside. That that's fantastic. And when's the book coming out? It'll be out at the end of July. Yeah, um, that's great. And uh, it's it's going very very deep into um, into all this, um, and uh, because. Uh, the world is not just a little bit not like we thought it was. It's nothing whatsoever like we thought it was. We're only skimming the surface when we see the the world that we see and think is the you know human society. Right, but so many people don't see that part yet. I'm you know as we look at politics, about I would say half of people or more are still in denial about things that are clearly like 
a, a good number in the United States of Democrats still basically believe Russiagate and still repeat those lies. Now, as a reporter, I had covered Russiagate, and the f stuff I found that was related directly to your work, I was the only reporter I knew who tied a lot of this back to and proved it, Bill Clinton's experience at Oxford in 1969. So before we get to Bill Clinton at Oxford, and I'll mention some of that stuff, you supplied brilliant and important history about what led up to that. In other words, the history of Oxford, their role in the Rhodes Scholarship and so on, and in making modern political world. Could you explain some of that stuff, the Anglo-Americanism that happened in the 19th century that led to Oxford being a center of, I, I think it's fair to say, the globalists, the the think tanks like the Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission, and these roundtable groups. Can you yeah. talk for a second about what led up to that in the 19th century? Well, uh, the, 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 uh, there's a couple of things to that. First of all, I mentioned about the the way that this this cult has passed through history, gathering more and more and more power until now it's uh, global. And I mentioned the British Empire. So you had this network, it came, uh, well, it, it goes back further, but you can pick it up in Babylon, Sumer, you can take it through the Roman Empire, uh, which went, of course, into Northern Europe. And then uh, this followed much later with the empires of Europe. And the empires of Europe, especially the British, was when this cult really went global. Because there, there came a point where um, the headquarters of this cult located in the UK. Uh, and this is why you can hardly see the British Isles on a globe, and yet it had an empire on which the sun never set. I mean, hello? How does that be? Because this cult was, was based in London. It still massively is. And so it accumulated a network, uh, a, a central network, uh, what I call the spider. And, and how, this, how it works is that if you can see uh, or visualize a spider's web with a spider in the center, the spider is driving the global agenda, and much of it is being driven out of the UK. There are other areas of the world too, but massively the UK. Uh, and the the strands in the web are secret societies, semi-secret groups, and um, think tanks, NGOs, and also governments, government agencies, banking systems, etc. Um, and the the strands immediately around the spider are the most secretive, the most exclusive secret societies. They will know what the real agenda is and what's really behind it. And then you come out from those, um, from the spider, and you, you're entering still in the hidden, you're entering the realms of secret societies we do know about. 
Opus uh, Dei, uh, the Knights of Malta, the Knights Templar, the inner core, it is the inner core of the Freemasons, the inner core of the Jesuit order, and, and on and on it goes. Um, and then you come out, um, to uh, coming out from the spider, you hit that point in the web that I call the cusp. And this is the cusp where the hidden meets the scene. And at that cusp, you've got the Bilderberg Group, Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission. Um, you've got um, the Club of Rome, which was created in 1968 specifically to exploit environmental concerns to justify centralization of global power. This is the whole um, human cause climate change hoax that we've been uh, talking about. Um, but also um, at the cusp is this just explosion now of think tanks and NGOs um, and their job of the cusp organization, they're, they're, these are the, the you know massively funded by people like Soros, the cusp organizations are there to take the agenda coming out of the hidden and to play it out into the scene. The world of governments, government agencies, uh, banking systems, corporations, media, all, all of this, Silicon Valley. And so what happens is when you get out into the world of the scene, to the public, everything looks random and everything looks unconnected from everything else. So, for instance, you've got the World Health Organization uh, in and of itself, and then you've got Facebook and Twitter in and of itself. You've got the British government and the American government in and of itself. That's how it looks to, to most people. But if you take the web structure into account, it's not like that at all, because this web connects them all. So you would kind of struggle to explain why, as independent organizations, that when the World Health Organization came out with its narrative about COVID and what should be done in response to it, that Silicon Valley corporations would say, uh, right at the start, we are going to censor any information put on our platforms that questions, challenges, et cetera, the World Health Organization version of everything. Uh, and the, the, the National Health um, Organization's version of everything, which is indeed the World Health Organization version of everything. Why would they do that? They're supposed to be platforms that are there to, to let the free flow of opinion. That's what they said they were created to do. So why would they do that? Makes no sense, but it does. If the inner core of the Silicon Valley corporations, Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, are controlled by this cult web, which they are, they, indeed they were created by it in terms of uh, Facebook and Google, et cetera. And the World Health Organization has create, created and is controlled by this web. Then what's happening is the web is defending its uh, World Health Organization narrative from being exposed through its Silicon Valley corporations. So you look at the World Health Organization, it was created by the Rockefellers in 1948. Um, uh, it's uh, who, who created the big pharma cartel through JD Rockefeller, the oil tycoon. It's now the World Health Organization run by Bill Gates uh, through funding. Bill Gates is a Rockefeller family gopher. 
That's what. That's why he, he's become so successful. His, fa his father was very close to the Rockefellers. He, indeed, his father was involved with Planned Parenthood that came out of the eugenics movement and, and was funded into existence with Rockefeller money. So everything that you think um, is random is actually coordinated. So the big pharma cartel is owned by the web. It was created by the web, the cult web. And it goes to the regulatory agencies of government, like the FDA in America and the CDC and the MHRA in, in Britain. And what you've got is the big pharma cartel, like Pfizer, Moderna, asking the, uh, controlled by the cult, created by the cult, asking cult-controlled regulatory agencies, like the CDC and the FDA, for permission to use their vaccines, or, uh, fake vaccines, actually, on the population. And what's happening is the cult web is asking the cult web for permission to advance the cult agenda. This is what's going on when you see how it's all connected. And so much of that is coming out of Britain, not Bill, uh, Johnson's government, uh, Boris Johnson's government. It's just, just, just puppets like all governments. But the secret society web is massively uh, uh, centered in Britain. So you look at um, the city of London, the financial district, which is basically a Vatican city. It's a law unto itself. Um, and it's to a, such a large extent driving the, 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 the financial level of this web, which is massively involved, of course, in human control. Control the money, you control choice, you control freedom. And you've got um, the, uh, the area of London called the Temple, which is literally named after a Knights Templar temple that was put there in, uh, in the, uh, the 13th century, uh, and is still there now, it was featured in the Da Vinci uh, films um, of Dan Brown. And that area of the temple is the center of the legal profession in Britain. And to such a large extent, dictates the legal profession much further afield globally. Uh, and uh, every, then you come to Oxford, you mentioned Oxford. So all these kind of universities were, were created in, um, in, 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 you know, long ago. And they were also created by this cult out, uh, in, uh, centered in Britain. And they, to such a large extent, dictate the education system worldwide. So, you know, you, you, you uh, and I have, you drive um, to uh, Yale University uh, in Connecticut, and it's like, you, it's like you're driving through Oxford. <laughs> that area, that whole area, it's like you're driving through Oxford. They don't call it New England for no reason. Um, and, and, and then you, you had this move out of the UK, out of Britain, to uh, relocate or expand into North America. So they expanded into what we now call Canada. The head of state in Canada is still the Queen of England, Britain. And they moved in on the United States and were behind the creation of the United States. Uh, and and so you know, Britain is a real big center, and you know you um, you can chart the, uh, the towards the end of the nineteenth um, century, uh, the uh, the Rothschilds, and it was the Rothschilds 
created a secret society in London called the Round Table. And um, the first head of the Round Table was Cecil Rhodes. And Cecil Rhodes plundered Southern Africa infamously uh, for the Rothschilds. And out of that came the gold mines and the diamond mines and the slavery of, of, of uh, Africa. And then the Round Table um, started to um, spawn satellite organizations. It, it, it spawned the Institute, uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs in London. It spawned in 1921 the Council on Foreign Relations. It spawned the Trilateral Commission, spawned the Bilderberg Group, it spawned the United Nations through this uh, London-based, uh, UK-based secret society, the Round Table. Um, and interestingly, um, the so-called Balfour Declaration when the British government um, in uh, the time of the Second World War, sorry, the First World War. 1917, uh, yeah. Yeah, agreed to um, support a, a Jewish homeland in Israel or Palestine as it was then. Um, that declaration, it's the Balfour Declaration. So it's, what did he do? Did he stand up in parliament and declare it? No, no. The Balfour Declaration was a letter sent by Lord Balfour, an inner circle member of the Round Table, to Lord Rothschild, who created and funded the Round Table. So it was two members of the same elite secret society swapping a letter, a letter that was almost certainly uh, written by another member of the Round Table and not Balfour himself. So uh, all these uh, things, they have a, a level that you see and the level that history tells you about and tells you why they happened and all that. And then you have this underbelly in the shadows where why they happened and how they happened is totally and utterly different. And um, so you have the Rhodes Scholarships uh, to Oxford University, where carefully chosen young people in America are given Rhodes Scholarships to, um, to attend Oxford University. And as you mentioned, Bill Clinton was certainly um, uh, uh, one of them, because uh, they, they picked these people very early. I mean, what's come out more recently is this World Economic Forum Young Leaders School uh, and how many, uh, quote, leaders, puppet leaders, in political power, whether it's Trudeau in uh, Canada, Macron in France, um, Ardern in, um, in New Zealand, and so on, uh, were um, graduates of this uh, World Economic Forum Klaus Schwab Young Leaders School. They're put, they're br they bring them through, they program them, they train them, into this whole agenda, and then they make sure through manipulation they go into positions of political power. So someone like Bill Clinton would have been um, highlighted for the presidency a long, long time before ever they um, they mentioned his name in that regard. So he becomes uh, governor for Arkansas and then goes to the presidency. Soon as they started talking about boy George Bush, as a possible president, I actually said uh, in the books and the talks, this guy's the next president of the United States. 
because they're chosen, not through obviously intelligence in his case, but they're chosen. His father, um, Father George Bush, chosen head of the CIA and, and onto the vice presidency and then presidency. Uh, the, 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 the world is so different to, to what people think it is. And um, these so-called elected people are not elected, they are selected. And then everything is done to get them elected, not these scamming elections like the last one in America. Well, since you mentioned the CIA, would I be fair to say that I think the CIA and MI6, the, the deep state in America, is in some ways the espionage and military arm of what you call the spider. 100%. Yeah, and, and this is the other thing. Going back to that web um, structure, and, and it's, it's so perfect because it is literally how it works. So you've got MI5 and MI6, okay? They're the British intelligence uh, agency, right? Yeah, okay. And then you've got CIA, that's the American intelligence agency. Yeah, that's right. And then you've got this, well, that's Germany's, right? Yeah, well, it doesn't know how it works like that. You, you know, everything is fiercely compartmentalized, uh, you know, appropriately, exactly like a secret society. So if you take a secret society, um, it's compartmentalized in terms of knowledge through what they call degrees. Take the Freemasons, it's a, it's a classic example, but they all work like this. So the people at the top know, th know, know uh, information, they have knowledge, which the people at the bottom don't have. And you're only allowed to get to the next level of knowledge if that next level thinks you are worthy of it and safe to have it. Uh, and, and the whole structure works like this. So you take an, uh, an intelligence agency that will be fiercely compartmentalized, whether it's MI6, MI5, CIA, National Security Agency, whatever. Um, but if you go deep enough into it, you go to the core, at that core, they all meet. The CIA is British intelligence, is German intelligence, is Australian intelligence, and so on. And there was a journalist um, who went public. Uh, you, I'm you're sure you'll remember this, uh, just a few years ago. Uh, and he was um, saying that uh, all his career, basically, he, had, he was writing for a major German newspaper that um, he was actually writing scripts that had been written for him um, and putting his name to them. And they were all propaganda. And he thought, I can't do this anymore. I've got to speak out. And I remember him being interviewed on RT a few times. Um, well, what did he say? What did he say? He didn't say that German intelligence was providing his scripts. He said the CIA were. He's a German journalist. because. At that inner core point, they're all the same. And this is now, how it works. Now, are you familiar with uh, Mikhail Khodorkovsky? Uh, not immediately. Okay, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, some, when I tell you stuff about him, you can obviously look into this. Everything I'm saying is confirmable. Mikhail Khodorkovsky at one point was the richest man in Russia in the 90s after the Soviet Union fell. He bought Yukos Oil, the biggest oil company in Russia, at per pennies on a dollar after doing a scam where he bought the bank that was auctioning it. Mikhail Khodorkovsky, I've been saying for years, is right at the center of Russiagate, and you never hear about him. 
A couple of facts about Kordakovsky. In 2005, there was a Senate resolution, Senate Resolution 322. Ring a bell. Senate Resolution 322, that's the name of it, in 2005, where Joe Biden put one in, in favor of Mikhail Kordakovsky. What he had done is he bought this oil company, and after Putin came into power, he said, stop trying to buy the government. He told all the oligarchs, stop trying to buy the government. And Mikhail Kordakovsky didn't stop. So he was put in jail. And Kordakovsky, when he went to jail, guess who gave the controlling interest in Yugoslavia oil to? Jacob Rothschild. Right. <laughs> Is it, and Jacob Rothschild, previous to that, was on the board of the Carlisle Group. Yeah. And he was introduced. George Bush, the father, yeah. Right. And he was introduced by Henry Kissinger. So Mikhail Kordakovsky has, has been, it's like a black hole. You don't see him, you have to look for him. But he's all over Russiagate. He funded Bill Browder and the Magnitsky Act. He's on the, the pay, payments for it. And so when you talk about the Rothschilds, I'm showing that they're right at the center of the Russiagate scandal. And obviously you're on Radio Sputnik, so you don't, I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you obviously don't buy into the propaganda hook, line, and sinker about Russia. No, I, I, I could see through Russiagate the moment they played that card. I mean, it was so obvious. I mean, they're not even good at it, which, I, which in terms of uh, making it credible. And I, I think to an ex extent, uh, uh, they misread. What they've done is they have played a, a, as if public awareness today is the same as it's ever been. So basically, they don't have to try too hard because the, the, the unwashed masses will believe anything. And the, what do you think the spider has out for Russia? Have you ever, because I, of course, working for Sputnik, I've thought about this more than most people. But I've tried to figure out their obsessive hatred towards Russia. And I've never been able to figure it out exactly. Have you been able to put your finger on anything? Well, well I've, I've been writing for a long time uh, now, decades, that the plan is uh, to push China and Russia together and then play them off against the West in a, in a conflict, in a world conflict, an, uh, a, a, an economic conflict as well as uh, uh, a military conflict. Uh, and uh, this uh, is designed to be a massive, uh, what I call problem-reaction-solution to justify um, saying we've got to stop wars ever happening again. So what we need to do, we need to have a world government and we need to have a world army and dismantle all national armies. We need to have a world central bank, a world currency, well, that's... I said that in 1993, the cashless world currency was coming, uh, and um, the um, and and that um, the whole of what we what what Swab is calling the Great Reset is actually um, the creation of a global um, centralized, in the end, unelected technocracy 
uh, in which a few at the center will dictate the lives of 8 billion people. Currently, there's 8 billion people anyway. Uh, and so they do want uh, to bring about a conflict between the East and the West. And I can, it's kind of um, you know, indicated in, in Orwell's writings in, in, in many ways in 1984. Uh, and so if you look at what uh, is happening now um, geopolitically, is that Russia and China are getting closer and closer. Um, and and w when you've got a situation where, because uh, what they want to do, this is what the culture is doing. It wants to dismantle the West. It wants an end to, the, to Western culture. This is why Soros is funding the, uh, as funded for decades, uh, what has led to an open, in the period of Biden, southern border, this is why uh, the, the borders of Europe have been opened, uh, because they want to bring an end to um, what we call the West and Western culture. Because the thing to, to grasp about this cult is it's not, it doesn't have borders. There are no borders. That's for public consumption. It's a global um, entity. And it's not um, attached to the West. It's not attached to Russia. It's not attached to China. In culturally, it just is is um, doing whatever's necessary, wherever it's necessary, to bring about this um, monoculture, global, uh, fascist, communist dictatorship, whatever you want to use, which um, is designed to have control imposed through technology, thus technocracy. And so um, the current events, you've had um, the the COVID um, card played, that's an absolute bloody hoax that was, is, uh, and they, they, they then bring in the lockdowns and the, what the lockdowns did was, was, was massively hold below the waterline, the world economy, especially the Western economy. And what they've gone on doing since is because of all the money that uh, fresh air created out of nothing money that they poured into responding to, quote, COVID, they were putting enormous um, inflation into the system. This was all systematic, because the idea is to bring an end to countries at the end. Uh, there won't be any countries uh, under a, a world government dictatorship. Um, and, and then what did Biden do? And this, 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 because all these dots connect, then he's, he, he starts to use human-caused global warming, the hoax, to justify um, closing down pipelines in America, oil pipelines, to stop the exploration for more fossil fuel um, resources on, on federal land. Um, he does everything from day one to um, turn America from um, energy independent to energy dependent. Then when uh, what happened, what's going on in, um, in Ukraine started, uh, they then say, led by Biden, but I mean, it's not Biden, it's, it's this guy called Ron Klain, who's his um, White, White House chief of staff. He's running the government, not, not Biden, they don't know what day it is. But then you have the other, these other European leaders, we must sanction Russia. But yeah, okay then. So um, what are you going to do? Well, we're imposing these sanctions and these sanctions, these sanctions. We are going to bring Russia to its knees. And what has been the outcome of those sanctions to bring the Western economy to its knees? 
because now you've got the uh, not least the Russia and China. Uh, China have got much closer to uh, to Russia because I mean not least because they they've got an energy supply. So of so of India, they're they're getting uh, uh, cheap oil from uh, from Russia, and the West. Well, the pump prices of, of energy fuel is going through the stratosphere, and and it's 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 in, it, it inserting extraordinary levels of inflation coming still we have now but coming into the system, which is which is bringing people to their knees. They can't afford food. They can't afford to go to work because they can't afford to drive there. Do you know we that there's police forces in America. Who are saying we can't respond to all the calls now because we can't afford the fuel? That's right. So, so these are sanctions that are not targeting Russia. Uh, they are tar- uh, 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 primarily they're targeting the West, and and they're dismantling Western Western society, and it's being done on purpose. And in terms of the cultural change, if you want to bring down a society. Who do you target first? Do you target the minority groups? No, no. You target the predominant, in terms of number, racial group. So they're targeting white people. So now we have this white supremacy uh, um, propaganda. Uh, And so the idea is that you marginalize and, and bring it under submission the predominant racial group of the West, and then once you've done that, then you start targeting the minority groups and pick them off. Um, and so, you know, there's this great line: uh, you know who's controlling you, and you know what their agenda is by who you cannot criticize and what you cannot criticize. So you cannot criticize. Um, human cause global warming, because that's the agenda. You couldn't criticize the COVID hoax because that's the agenda. Uh, and you can't, you, you can't criticize minority groups, but say what the hell you like about um, white people. There's no political correct defense for white people. So you know who they're targeting and, and, and on that basis alone. And then you look at, um, I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not, a, a, I'm not a Christian, but if you look at the history of Western society, weaved through it for historical reasons is Christianity and the Christian religion. And so um, if you um, want to dismantle that society, you want to pull the cards out of the the pyramid, then you, um, you target what holds that society together. So you're targeting white people and, and you're targeting Christianity. You, you can say what you like about Christianity. There is no political correct defense for Christianity. But minority group religions, oh no, that's hate speech. And then you look at the British royal family. You know, the royal families have served this cult magnificently because they have been a way of imposing control um, just by bloodline, just by succession, um, and then they, you know, the the, the human uh, population eventually um, matured enough to start saying we want some saying this, and a lot of the royal families disappeared. Not the one in Britain, but you look at Britain, 
you you want to dismantle Britain as a society in the way that it is run now as part of your Great Reset, which doesn't include you know subsidiary control systems like uh, royalty and being a head of state purely by your bloodline. So if you um, look at Britain, we don't have a government of the people. We have Her Majesty's government. We don't have an opposition to the government. We have, quote, Her Majesty's most loyal opposition. That's what it's called officially. Currently, the Labour Party, which is uh, the, 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 the absolutely uh, an organization that doesn't oppose anything that the cult wants. Um, and, and you look at all the institutions, it's Her Majesty's Treasury, Her Majesty's uh, Border um, uh, Department, Her Majesty's Environment Department, and so on and so forth. Um, and so if you want to pull lots and lots of cards out of British society, which would mean it has to be completely rewritten and redrawn, then you take the royal family out of it. And um, I, I've been saying for now for a few years that we're, we're, we're looking at, not tomorrow, but we are looking at the end of uh, the British royal family. So once the Queen's gone, um, what's left is Prince Charles, who's very, very unpopular. Then there's uh, Prince William, who's uh, had a charisma bypass. And then you go in down to his children, which are very young. Uh, this, it's a rump royal family once the Queen's gone. And of course, she's not going to be around for very much longer. And so all these things are coming together, and the, 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 the common theme of all of them, and of course, then you've got the Commonwealth, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the head of state. Will... And there you go. There's the first part of my fantastic interview with David Icke. And we got more coming up after this short break. But believe it or not, it ends on an up note. It's very inspiring, the end. My girlfriend was saying she was listening to the interview live. She was saying that is inspiring. And you're going to hear that coming up right after a short break in the fantastic interview I did today with the great David Icke. It was truly a pleasure and an honor to talk to him. And he said he'll come back on the show. So we'll talk to Carmine Sabia in the next segment about David Icke. It's a Carmine Monday, and Carmine will be here to talk about David Icke. Coming right up, let's take a short break, and then we'll come back with the final part of our interview with David Icke on The Backstory. from the Empire of Lies, a bastion of truth and free speech in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration. This is The Backstory. And the entire first hour of The Backstory was devoted to the interview I did today with the legendary David Icke. I got to talk to him this morning and it was truly an honor. And we'll be playing the last 10 minutes or so of that interview coming up, and it's a Carmine Monday. Then we'll be talking to Carmine Xavier about the news and what he thought of my interview with David Icke. And I'll give you a hint, Carmine's a little bit jealous. 
but David Icke, I'll, I'll tell you something you wouldn't know from the interview. David Icke told me afterwards that he'd like to come back on the show. And I heard from his daughter that he thought the interview was fantastic. So I believe we'll get David Icke back on the show and we'll get him with Carmine. Because Carmine's a big David Icke fan, as you'll hear. And we're also taking your calls. What do you think of the David Icke interview? What did you think of last Friday's show? We played a long speech from Vladimir Putin at the St. Petersburg Economic Forum. We'll be talking more about that and taking your calls after the Ike interview here on The Backstory. So without any further ado, and speaking of ado, by the way, the headline today is Macron lost his majority. See what he did there? I do, Macron, sort of. He's got no effective government now, and Le Pen made big advances. So we'll talk about that in the next few days. But let's go to the last part of my interview with the legendary David Icke here on The Backstory. Hit it. Changes so those those societies change when the royal family is um, is uh, dismantled, and all these things come under the uh, uh, you know whether it's uh, you know the, the borders or whatever it's the dismantling of Western society, and so uh, you know, for instance if you look at China, they're demanding that their military and their male population become more and more male and testosterone driven if you like. Whereas in America and other Western countries, this woke mentality is creating weak people, weak men, weak people in general, weak young people who are terrified of their own shadow. And when you're terrified of something, you look to uh, authority to protect you. So you give your power away to authority. Um, and, and you've got this um, transgender uh, craziness. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I don't know whether you saw, Lee, this, um, this survey was out in the last two weeks, where um, they showed that the number of people in America, young people, who are um, saying they identify with another um, gender, has absolutely soared in the very same period of this transgender uh, uh, insanity. That's not to say if people feel in their own body, they ought to be supported, but that's not what this is about. This is not about responding to people who naturally think they're in the wrong body. This is about making more and more kids believe they are as part of this whole agenda, which is very big, and I've talked about it elsewhere. But what this survey found was that while um, the number of uh, young people identifying with a different gender had um, increased dramatically. It increased dramatically in states controlled by the Democrats. In other words, they were woke crazy. But in the in the Republican-controlled states, the um, the number of the increase was was tiny by comparison to the Democratic states, which tells you this: it's not a natural phenomenon. 
it's a program propaganda indoctrination phenomenon and that's being done on purpose and uh, look, look at what they're doing to the american military it's all about woke and and inclusivity and uh, and what have you um which is not what it appears to be inclusivity uh, and so you've got this uh, moronic um, head of the joint chiefs of staff um who will talk for ages about transgender and wokery in the military and how we need to have more of it uh, and and talks very little about you know w w the debacle in um in Afghanistan and elsewhere. So they're actually destroying the American military um, internally through this uh, infusion of woke nonsense, and it's all connected, all of it. Now, David Ike, we're about out of time. This is absolutely fantastic, and thank you for your time. It was every bit as great as I hope it would be. Let me leave you with one question. It's an important one. Do you, you've been doing this for decades. Do you have any hope? Do you have any sign that the spider may not succeed? David oh, Ike? Oh, oh, yes. Yes. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be worth me keeping doing it really. I mean, I'm, I'm 70 now. Um, I mean, I'm going to be around a long time yet, but um, I mean, I, I wouldn't give the rest of my life as I've given the last 32 years of it if I thought it was a done deal. At least, absolutely not a done deal. And and what tells you that is is simple mathematics. If you go to the core of the core of this cult globally, you would get them in a single room. Um, and the vast majority of people in the pyramid are compartmentalized from the knowledge of what's really happening and why. Uh, and thus they are doing things and playing a part in their own enslavement and the enslavement of their children and grandchildren, uh, while really having no idea that's what they're doing. Uh, this is what compartmentalization does. It makes you ignorant of how your contribution connects to everyone else's contribution to, to, to present a very sinister picture that doesn't appear to be, with your single contribution, to be that sinister. Um, and so you've got coming up 8 billion people and you've got by comparison a handful of people who in full knowledge are driving this and um this is why they're terrified of the population becoming aware of the things and many other things that we've been talking about today they're terrified of it so i, I this mass censorship this hysterical censorship is not coming from a point of strength. It's not. It's coming from a point of weakness. Strong people who are confident of their narrative and confident to debate it and confident to, um, to have it challenged don't want to um, censor anybody because they know if anyone is censored, it means that they don't have freedom of speech anymore. They only have the freedom to conform to what the censors say you can and cannot say. So one person's freedom of speech is everybody's freedom of speech, in fact. And so the reason they're censoring, and ever more hysterically, is because they know their narrative will not stand up to scrutiny, debate, and um, exposure. And so as more and more people become aware of 
these things we're talking about, and my God, more and more people are, it's, it's off the Richter scale compared with what it used to be, um, they have to in, engage in more and more censorship to try to keep the lid um, on the can. Uh, but how long are they going to be able to continue to do that? More, I, I, I know that I've gone from being laughed at in the street in 1990, 91, 92, 93, 94, to now being stopped by endless people wherever I go, asking to talk to me about what's going on and, and to discuss it with me. Um, the, the, the difference is, is absolutely um, amazing. And we're talking about all kinds of walks of life now are starting to get this. Uh, and, and so I'm confident that there are going to be many challenges coming. Oh, my God, there are, and not least economic. But I'm confident that we are going to bring this down because the point is we, the people, are holding it together. Our compliance is what's holding this thing together. A few people cannot control billions unless the billions are compliant to the few. We don't need to... Um, become violent. We just need to stop cooperating. You know, if if someone comes out of Downing Street or the White House and says, we've had a discussion and this is what's going to happen, if enough people say, we're not doing that, we're not doing that, no way. It's unenforceable. You know, we started out when, when, when COVID started, uh, the COVID card was played more, more uh, accurately where a few people were standing on the streets in lockdown um, protesting. And the police would come along and just arrest them and take them away, so small was their number. By the, uh, the September, August, September of 2020, there were 40,000 people in Trafalgar Square. By um, the, uh, the spring of 2021, hundreds of thousands of people were walking through the streets of London. And where were the police then? They were standing on the side of the road watching us go by because their numbers were so great, there's nothing they could do. And, and when the penny drops, that the power is with us and the only power that these people have over us is actually the power we give to them every day in the form of acquiescence, then the house of cards will come down because it's a contract. It's a perceptual contract. Authority has power. No, it has power that we give away to it. And so there are three types of people in the world that allow tyranny to reign and to stop tyranny. One is the group that just does what authority tells it without question. Uh, never questions anything. Authority tells them they do it. Then there's the next group, which can see that they're actually they're being lied to and they really don't want to do what they're being told, but they fear the consequences of not doing it. And so they comply. And those two groups, the unquestioning and the compliant through fear, have been responsible for every tyranny in human history. Because it's not the tyrants, it's not the fascists that impose fascism. It's, there's never enough of them. It's the population that acquiesce to fascism that bring fascism in. 
And then there's this other group, the third group, and that's the group that can see they're being lied to and will not cooperate with that which is lying to them. And they're the group that has ended every tyranny in history. And the bigger that group becomes, the more fearful uh, will this cult become. And it's becoming fearful now because that group is getting bigger. Uh, and what we need to do is, is get this group that can see some of it, doesn't want to do it, but is frightened of not doing it, to summon some backbone and join group three, and then we'll bring this down. Um, I'm, I'm more confident now than I've ever been that this is coming down, but there's some big challenges to come. And let's end on that positive note. David Ike, fantastic appearance, great interview, and I say this, and I really mean it, an honor and a privilege to talk to you. David Ike, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Lee. And so the, there you go. There's my interview with David Icke. First time I ever talked to him. And it's just thrilling off the charts to talk to a living legend. And what do you think about the interview? 202-521-1320. Love to hear your comments if you have any. And joining us now is our co-host on Carmine Mondays, Carmine Savia. How are you doing? I'm not talking to you. Okay, explain why. I've been watching David Icke for 20 years. I've been wanting to talk to him for 20 years, at least. At least. And you didn't even get into this stuff. I wanted to ask him. Now, the good news is David said, quote, I got 20 years worth of questions. So, well, you, you still, still got them. Because David, I got word through his daughter that he thought the interview was, quote, fantastic, close quote. And uh, he asked for a copy of it, and he agreed to come on the show again. So we will be sure to take take him up on that, and we will get you on the next interview, Carmine. Please. Bro, you don't know. First of all, you didn't even get into the alien stuff with him and the alien connection. I've been watching him for 20 years, man. Let me tell you something. People laughed at him. Oh, he's this, he's that, he's crazy. But I listened to what he was saying. I'm like, he connects the dots, man. He will go through the history and text of ancient civilizations. And, I mean, the whole thing. Like, for instance, I mean, I, he's going to explain it better than I will. But, like, the, the you know, the, the cube that they, they, they worship in Mecca, right? Well, the black cube is like a representation of Saturn. It has been throughout history. Right. And so it's like it's like worth Saturn and they don't even know it. And and he talked about some man, of that so stuff. much like I could talk hours. So so Carmine, I'm gonna go, go to phones the first. Stuff, then I'll talk to you more about sure. some of the stuff I talked to Ike about. And I also had I was right. That, He's so right, man. That was my morning talking to David Ike. And then it, about an hour later, I was on with Owen Schroyer on InfoWars. And then that interview ended with Alex Jones showing up in the studio. And Alex Jones said, and I'll get this audio tape. I love this man. He's a true patriot. So I got that going for me. Alex Jones saying, I'm a true patriot. Pretty good, huh? Unbelievable, man. But actually, there's some stuff that Alex talks about that I talked about at the end there. 
which is the way to win. And I do think there's a way to win. But let's go to phones first. 202-521-1320. David, you're on the line. Uh -huh, yeah, so I hope you'll let, let me push back against David Icke's uh, interview. I, I, he's an elegant, elegant speaker and uh, very interesting. I'm glad you did the interview. But uh, I, I, to me, it, there are several points where it's so far-fetched that it's simply not, not credible. I'll, I'll just take a little two points so you can get other callers. The first point is the alien connection. Sure, there the, he's connecting dots. That's not proof. That, you can't disprove it either. So all he has is a theory. And there's no reason why I should believe it. It, it has no importance to me, actually, whether I believe it or not. So I would choose to disbelieve it. That's, that's point number one. Second point. Well, well. So let me take point number one. Uh, I believe there's. You may you may say there's no proof. There's plenty of evidence. There is. Oh. And and there is the fact that your government has been doing hearings on UFOs lately, and I I took that as David doing a deeper dive than I I do. I don't. I'm I'm focused on mid 19th century to to today, so I don't look at the ancient civilization stuff. However, I understand why David Icke is looking into a deeper understanding of how things have developed but the way the they have. Though, there's a point to it. There's a if you follow David Icke, there's a point to it, which is it doesn't matter if you believe in the alien connection. The people in power do. That's part of their cult. They believe in it. And that's the point. And I know it sounds crazy to you, but I don't know how much of, of his stuff you've watched and how much of the stuff on other, other people have done this topic. The point is it doesn't matter if you believe in it. They believe in it. Okay, can I do my second point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, yes. David. The, the, the second point is on nationalism or the one-world government. Do you actually— to me, it's, it's, it's totally incredible that the, that the American population would at any point in, the, in my lifetime or your lifetime or pretty much anyone's lifetime who's living today would, would, would acquiesce to a one-world government to, to, to giving up American nationality. I would say the same for the Chinese, the Russians, the Indians. Can you name a, 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 a people that is not highly— Can you explain? Okay, David, I, I hear your point. Let me stop you and ask you a question. I, I have a question. Do you, do you do you how do you explain the acquiescence during the pandemic? Did you see that? Did you see a nation of people didn't go to work and stayed home? Yeah. Did you see an unusually large amount of acquiescence? Yes, yes, and 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 uh, and, 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 and but that's that's not a proof that we're heading towards a one world government. Okay, it's still nationalistic. I, I, do, you, do you believe the Chinese? Whatever. Look how hard. But look how hard, David, look how hard they're fighting against somebody who says America first and every politician that says America first. And, and they talk all the time openly about the new world order. And I think the thing is stopping the one world government is you don't have the acquiescence of Russia or China particularly. But the unipolar world, the U.S., Europe, the EU, all the same problems we see in the U.S., with propaganda, with woke culture, with economic problems that they're in complete denial about. Did you see today Biden attacked a reporter for saying a recession is coming? 
He's acting like fears of recession are conspiracy theory. So I would say the one world government, it's just, it's, as far as the European, and I include America in that, Europe, America, Canada, is is clearly falling for it. Europe is hardcore. I'll, I'll end on this. Russia and China are the antidote to that. And so let's hope that, that it, the, full, the full world government never comes to pass. Good point. Thanks for the call, David. Well, I mean, that's great, kind of, great call. Let's go. That's kind of why the pressure. That's kind of pressures on Russia and China, and that's why they're public enemy number one to the to the to the West because they do stand in the way of it. And I'm going to give you a practical idea I have to fight this after we get through another call because we have Bull on the line two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. Bull, what is on your mind? Oh yes, the world, the one world government. Is that a reality? Well, um. The gentleman who said that that would never be allowed, he's only 50% correct. And that 50% is contingent upon people knowing the truth. However, we do not know the truth because we are being totally deceived. So there's a population that are not aware that they are being taken over by a one-world government. As the gentleman mentioned, Canada— when you look at Canada, Canada was supposed to be this bastion of freedom, whereas uh, people were able to uh, not deal with, because the United States, under certain government, maybe the Bush government and what have you, uh, was seen as being authoritarian. So with, with Canada, it was a bastion of liberty, whereas people had to and Bull, Bull, I'm going to cut you off there only because you have a bad connection. I can't understand anything you're saying. And you sound like me buried in a pillowcase and sunk to the bottom of the ocean, which wouldn't be good. So, Bull, call back anytime. Right. Let's go to. 202-521-1320. Sean, what's on your mind, Sean? Really excellent interview. I think you shook these people up with this one, though. But uh, I'm in the Nation of Islam. We have been listening and following David Eichel for years. But I was just suggesting, are you familiar in, your, in the co-host, are you all familiar with the book Alice in Wonderland in a World Trade Center disaster yes. that he put out? You have Yes. Book. No, not the connection. Not the connection. No, Forget I'm not. that book, man. It's a must-read. Everything. When you talked about the UFOs, now the government proved, the government finally admitted a couple of months ago that what he has been saying is true. But the people can't take it because it's unsettling. So keep it up, man. I like your work. Keep it up. Thank Sean, Sean, are you formerly with the Nation of Islam? I was a minister in the Nation of Islam, yeah. And okay, that's Michael came to some and, of the Savior's days and made presentations. He's right on it. He's right on it. Now, I was actually watching yep. some old video of Malcolm over the weekend, and I was thinking a lot about nationalism. I've talked to, um, I, I don't know if there's anyone you know, Mr. Tony from Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. I talked very good friends. Yeah, well, I talked to him a few years ago, and, uh, I have a lot of respect, actually, for the Nation of Islam and a lot of stuff they say. I did not know David Icke was 
well received among nation of Islam. That man is right on it. That's why he's been ridiculed and chastised the way he has, like the minister. But also, I want to mention this to you, Lee. I listen to, I listen to you every day. I like listening to you, man. My question was, you were about to hit on, uh, and you kind of backed off, you were hitting on the vaccination. Now, one thing that these guys have never put out, and I want you to take a look at it, it's called low-dose alpha interferon. We have been using it for years. We did it with uh, the AIDS patients. Uh, Dr. Lee Muhammad, Minister Farrakhan, something in Africa, he brought it back. They did something on 2020 with them. They tried to bomb them out. But low-dose alpha interferon, which is FDA-approved, Cuba's been using it. They took it to China. China's been using it. But they never mentioned it here. And Fauci knows about it. But you were touching on it, but you kind of backed off. Now, this is the first time I had a chance to talk to you. Now, I don't know much about it. Hold on one second. Now, Carmine, do you, more about that. do you know much about the nation of Islam? Be honest. Aside from what the mainstream media tells you. I actually, you know what? I can't remember the gentleman's name. I actually do. There was a guy on YouTube from England, and he was kind of a, he was a little bit racist. Um, he didn't like white people too much, but he wasn't like hateful. But I used to watch him a lot on YouTube. And I mean, aside from the, you know, he, the anger the guy had, um, he made a lot of salient points and a lot of thought provoking points. And I used to watch him a lot, man. I can't remember his name, but there was like a year straight where I watched like all this guy's videos. I've I've never um, experienced. He's from England, and I think he even got, I think he even got arrested in England for hate speech because oh. you can't speak freely anymore in the West. Yeah, but um, um, actually, he has a new name. Yes, his brother it was Minister David. Um, he was he's in England. We have a Moscow some Fran in France as well in Paris, but um, he has a new name now. What was his name? Was Minister David Sean. one time? He has a new name now. So what I was talking to Minister Tony about okay. a, a couple of years ago of, uh, during the election was the Nation of Islam, in case you don't know it, Carmine, was doing lectures nationwide criticizing Margaret Sanger. Right, John? Am I right? Yes, exactly. She's a eugenic. And yes, they were Absolutely. all they were well, doing they, was something they should take. All they were doing was telling the truth. That's it. That's all they were doing was telling the truth about Margaret Sanger. We, and I, I want to. And I, while I have you, can I just mention this? They mentioned yes. Tim Islam not getting involved in politics. Well, we ran. Through, I'm one of the three candidates that Minister Farrakhan ran for office in 1990. I ran in Washington D.C. Another brother ran in Washington for Congress, and another brother ran for um, Congress in Maryland, which, which, which Steny Hoyer stole that election. But we do get involved in politics. It's just that we do not get involved in the foolishness that you mentioned about this partisan business and these sellouts. But, yes, we are involved. Yes. And that, that's what – and the thing that struck me watching this video of Malcolm, uh, you, you know, obviously – it was in like 63, I think. It was interviews he was doing. Was he talked about the respect that children in nationalism were taught for their elders. Exactly. And that is something very important. Correct? Well, the one thing I always love, you see how they always you see how they always dress in a suit, eye, you know what I'm saying? Looking good, looking sharp, looking like actual men. Yes. But that society don't want to see that, bro. 100%. Hundred percent, and Sean, that that feeding of respect 
for the, your elders and and not obsequ not ob obedience to authority, but at least having some ob ob Sean, you're welcome to come back anytime. But I want you to keep up this good work, man. I'm serious because uh, you are doing something that I'm, I'm very surprised you're still on. They haven't gotten to you, but you and your partner, man, you come on, you all keep it up. And I, I watch, I listen to you every day. So you you got us listening to you, okay? And I've also never experienced so any anti-white racism from the Nation of Islam from anyone I've known. I've, I've talked to a number of people. No, let me let me tell you something. No, because let me tell you something. It's when you first hear it, it sounds like it. But like I say, you got to listen to what the people are saying in full context, in full speeches. Then you understand that that's not what it is. It's yes. they are pro for their people. Absolutely should be. And and that doesn't make you anti and somebody else. And and so on. You have to understand that. Yeah, that's why, Sean. Fantastic call. Thanks very much. But the nation. Let's take a short the break. The nation of Islam. Stuff. They know about this one world government stuff, bro. No, I know and. Again, uh, it's, it's not any group that gets attacked as much as the nation of Islam does must be doing something right. Mm -hmm. So let's take a short Correct. break. Brave is on the line. We'll get to him right after a short break. Carmine, you this is your one chance to say the name of the show because we're almost out of time. This is the backstory. Well done, sir. back on a Juneteenth edition of the backstory. I thought we were off today. It's a federal holiday. So I said to you, no, holiday. what's that? They did the holiday on Friday. We didn't. Here we were. We didn't. Oh. I, I feel they're trying to keep me down, Carmine. They're not giving me June. You know what I was thinking about today? No. Well, you know what I was how did it take so long for Juneteenth to become a holiday? I kind of think it's a ridiculous holiday. It's kind of weird that it took that long. I don't. I think it's a good holiday. I think you could have many good holidays about slavery takes... being ended. I I think— I, Yeah, but this was the final— But what? This was the final nail in the coffin of slavery in America, so I, to me it's a holiday worth celebrating. I know I'm probably in the minority on that. No, I'm not opposed to a—but I, I like the day that— people that slavery actually ended as a holiday and not the day some slaves in Texas figured it out. They got the message a little late. Yeah, that makes sense. By the way, did you hear about the news from the Vatican? No. There's rumblings in the Vatican right now. Megyn Kelly is on this story. Uh, she was reporting it today that uh, rumors are going around that Pope Francis is going to be retiring. To Florida? If you go to her Twitter. I don't know where he's going, but <laughs> you go to her Twitter. That would be weird. You'd have two living retired popes. Has that ever happened? I don't know my history of the papacy that well. I think that would be pretty weird. You die in the role. Yeah, interesting. It'll obviously be big news because some people really don't like Pope Francis, right? I mean, I was, you know, it really, he really, 
I was a Catholic my whole life. I, I call myself a Christian now. He really, he really drove me away from Catholicism in a big way. Um, there's so much I wanted to get into, though, before we, we take a call, though, about the alien thing, because people poo-poo it and they dismiss it. But let me tell you something. Do you think that the government is starting to kind of leak information about aliens now because they're not getting ready to tell you the truth? They're they're drip dripping it because they're getting ready to tell you. And let me tell you something. I wouldn't put it past the the cult, as David Ike calls it, and it's a good word for it. I would not put it past them to fake an alien invasion as the catalyst to form said one world government. Right, because what I know it sounds like you're getting in the weak. Uh, that it, that it, would, it would work. Remember what Reagan said: how quickly we'd all get together if we were facing a threat from outside of this planet. In the history of Project Blue Book in this country, there's a lot of stuff about the U.S. government and aliens that is, yep, curious. I, I don't know what better word to use. People that. I think when people dismiss it, it's because they haven't done any reading on it. Yes. And like you say, David Icke's point is not, you must believe what I'm saying. His exploration took him Correct. towards that. And he's he's clearly got reasons for what he's saying, which doesn't mean you need to accept them. But he's a guy who does his research. Right, Carmen? Oh, yeah. And he lays it out for you really well. I mean, it's not like... Believe me, I don't just watch a David Icke video and go, everything he says is right. But I watch it and then I do my own research and I and I look to other sources because that's what you're supposed to do. I, you know, you have a thirst for knowledge. I'm not saying that everything he says is right. I don't know. None of us know for a fact, right? But what I'm saying is he's worth listening to because he's not just some crackpot, man. He's 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 putting out the points for you to look. And for you to really discover for yourself. In fact, he tells you to, to do research for yourself. And if someone said to you or anybody, prove to me that Jesus walked in the water, because we've done scientific tests, that doesn't seem possible, right? And scientifically, it doesn't seem possible. Right. Or if they said to you, prove that Moses parted the Red Sea, prove it. I've, I've never seen, have you ever seen a Red Sea part or any kind of, have you ever seen a person at the pool been able to split the pool? I've never seen it. No, of course not. But through the power of God, all of these things are possible. Right. But you can't prove it. Does that make sense? You can't show me. Right. I cannot. No, you're right. Right. And so uh, clearly, though, those beliefs have been very powerful throughout history. And uh, I, I like the fact that David Icke <coughs> was just, he says, He's not embarrassed by his beliefs in the area at all, and he explains it very well. But I want to get to Brave, 202-521-1320. Brave, thanks for calling. What is on your mind today? What's going on, guys? Hey, first of all, Lee, I uh, just want to take a moment. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of on the car mind train today. I'm going to take a little issue. I was listening to the interview. I did not hear you tell David Icke that one of your most favorite callers by the name of Brave, that's me, um, said a long time ago that you should have um, him on. This is back when you had, uh, when John was still co-hosting. So I, I just take a little bit of that, but I forgive you <laughs> in this moment. But no, um, seriously, I wanted to, um, the, the caller, uh, the caller, David, who um, 
brings the point that we that well, let me say but brave let me just say that although if i remember i guess i guess you did say that david ike has really been an idol of mine so for instance if one day you're listening to the show and getty lee from russia's on it was not your idea or anyone's idea it was a teenage me ever since i saw david ike's work i wanted to have it on the show so i appreciate your suggestion i want to talk but it was independent of that. So go ahead, Jet Brave. I would speak that, Lee. I would speak that. <laughs> I'm just joking with you, man. No, um, so for your caller, David, earlier, who was... I appreciate uh, it. ...was raising the point that um, would not people would not ever go, would never go for a global uh, government or whatever the case is. I, I, it, it, only in a sense if it's... Um, Done in a brash way, but these, this is not how these things are delivered. Uh, these things are delivered through subversion, right? And if you notice, every change, every power grab, every change has been done um, through subversion, whereas the people ask for it, because that's how subversion works. You plant these seeds, you take certain actions, and then the people will ask of it, right? And the people will cry for right. it. The way that you have Democrats crying for war and crying for citizenship, uh, it it also makes a lot of sense that it would come through as far as uh, uh, the Amer as far as here in America, it makes a lot of sense that it would come through um, the, the the Democratic Party because you you have a, a larger following with the Democratic Party, right? Um, but I was just I was I wanted to say to that caller because um, I, I appreciate his call. I, I love listening to him when he calls in um, that. One, uh, with David Icke and people who follow that, um, it's, it's myself as well, and, and in most cases, uh, especially when it comes to like, the Great Reset and things of that nature, um, it's, it's thought of to be, put, to be put in place through technocracy. And if, it, and if that is the case, then you can pretty much bet your horses that we already have a one-world government through technocracy, right? It's just that it's being rolled out to the, in, in a way that you will accept it bit by bit. You know what I'm saying? The... the, the turning up the boiling water and boiling the frog slowly because the people are already in power, people are already in place, and these uh, rules are already uh, taking the action they're taking. I also would like to say that I do not believe that uh, Russia and China are the saving pill because uh, Xi is right there at the um, the Davos. Xi is a part of the uh, world um, the World Economic Forum. He takes he takes um, position right there at Davos. Right. And uh, so I'm going to stop you right there. Putin attacked. You need to pay attention to what Putin said at, at, at the Davos. Listen to his speech. He went to Davos and attacked globalism. And his speech last week that I played on the show from St. Petersburg, if you have any doubt that Putin is not a globalist, he went square after globalism and knows his, his actions. It's not just what he's saying. It's what he's doing. He is the biggest critic of globalism, and he's taking it on. And uh, when I see people attack Tulsi or attack, look, if if I was in the World Economic Forum, I would say recruit everybody because you never know when you're going to need to attack that person and say, oh, oh, they were one of us. But 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 anyone, if you listen to his speech at Davos, he is attacking globalism. And in St. Petersburg last week, he attacked globalism. He attacks every principle they have. So I, I would I would just stop you right there, Brave. I don't, 
don't, I don't think you're following what I'm saying. I, I'm not saying that Putin is, is the enemy, the bad guy, or he's down for the globe. I'm not saying that. that's not my point. But I, what I am saying is that um, the caller the call, the call made the point that uh, China and Russia were, were had the pill to stop all of this stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Would be the opposition and, and stop all of this. And I, I just I don't see it that way because what I see clearly is a real a realignment of power. There, there's no there's no there's no disputing that. There's a realignment of power, and that's being done, like chess pieces on the board, right? You don't have to be all in. Like, for instance, you don't have to be all in, right, to, 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 to not play your part, whether you know you're playing your but, part. But, Brave, what economies are clearly on the brink of disaster, and what economies, who's on the upswing and who's on the downside? Undoubtedly, Russia and China economically are the future. Europe and the U.S., are to pass. Do you see that? No, right. So you, you're making my point. What you just said is what I said. What you're watching right now is a realignment of power. The West is going down, but the West is being brought down um, by its, on its own accord, purposefully. I've been saying, I have been saying consistently that I've called, I've called into your show and called into uh, phone lines and any other I can, I can get on and say that these people are not incompetent. They got their marching orders and they're doing what they're being, they've been instructed to do. As far as you see Biden doing, bringing our, bringing the economy down. To David Ike said it himself. He said it during your interview, right? So please don't misunderstand. Don't mistake what I am saying as to say that uh, Putin's playing his part because he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, Klaus Schwab's uh, best friend. I'm not saying that. Well, if you weren't say if, if you weren't saying that, I apologize. I've heard people say that, and so perhaps they jumped to a conclusion. So forgive me. No worries. And I would never talk against Tosi because you know I am a Tosi fan. But uh, yeah, I, that's to say concerning that other caller. Um, I just. We, we have to be mindful that um, power is in power for a reason, right? Not whether we like it or not. They are in power for a reason. And, and um, typically the things that we're seeing is not because we just discovered it by mistake. They're rolling these things out. And I, I think that um, the truth that David Icke said was that we have to not, uh, we have to not be complicit. We, we have to not just go along with it. And that's the scariest thing, even when you consider what he said would be the, um, the resolve or the solution or... or, or uh, bring about an uprising against it to defeat it because it requires people to not go along. And it seems like people are so ready to go along when given the proper reasons and, and uh, excuses to go along. That, that's all I want to say. I'll leave it at that. No, I appreciate the call, Brave. And if I, if, if I was wrong about what you're saying, forgive me. Thanks, Brave, for the call. Great call. Now, Carmine, let me run an idea by you. As I mentioned, I was on InfoWars earlier. And the thing that David Icke was saying about not complying and about the power of debate. Alex repeats that during commercial breaks repeatedly. So here's my idea. Ready? This is a wacky idea. But I think I might be onto something. And this might not be the exact idea, but I kind of like it. Imagine if we put the call out to everybody in every city in the nation to start at the local library. The library, you know, they have meeting rooms, right? And you can rent them. You you have that in your town, right? I have one literally around the corner from me. Okay, right. So what I'm saying is what we start is a debate group, a citizens debate group, and it's got rules. It's for civil debate, civil debate only, and exchanges of information. And one of the things you ban at the debate 
is the fallacy of ad hominem. As soon as someone's argument is an insult, someone who's, you know, like a ref, someone who's a ref blows the whistle and says, you can't do that. No ad hominem is permitted. Only factual, and you don't have too many rules because you want free debate. But if you get rid of the bad arguments, such as appeals to authority or open insult, as soon as someone's argument is, well, Trump's orange. Oh, yeah, dude, everything, every time you're, blow you're, the you're whistle. arguing online, I'll be like, well, you know, and then Biden did this, and this is this. Yeah, but remember the time Trump did, what are you talking about? So let's say that you're right. Let's say that this thing, you're, whatever you're mentioning about Trump was a horrible thing. How does that forgive what Biden did in this in this scenario that I'm posing to you? In other words, they can't defend. And, and imagine at the outset of this debate group, you set the question you're trying to resolve through debate clearly. So you say, we're not trying to resolve that. We're trying to resolve, did Ashley Biden's diary say that she feels she became hypersexualized and took showers with her father. And that's what you're trying to resolve. You see what I'm saying? Let me tell you something. If Tiffany or Ivanka Trump's diary said one tenth of what Ashley Biden's diary says, it would be round the clock news. Well, what I'm, what, what I'm trying to avoid with these debate, these library debate societies if they sprang up all over the country, they would stop bad argument in its tracks and start to get good argument out there. And someone could say, well, I went to the debate and I'm convinced, I wasn't sure when I went in, but I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced. I'm, I'm talking about a whole nother debate, which is one of the debates that I would love to have in a society like that, which is, is the media biased? Yes. And, and that's the kind of thing. That'd be a great place. But I think that would be a hard, first off, they have a hard time making it illegal. They would try to smear it, but it would start, because I really do think we're close to tipping point with people. More people, as, as adamant as some people are not to change your opinion, there are more people, and David Icke said it, there are more people than ever who know the truth. Do you agree with that, Carmine? I do. Or at least either who know the truth or who have a lot of questions. Yes. And and if we encourage open discussion and we encourage free debate, I got to thinking about, about what Ike was saying at the end. A society, a nationwide group of free groups that meet the library to openly debate issues. You see what I'm saying? That'd be pretty awesome, man. I think there's something there. I think a lot of people would be interested in that. And I also like the idea of it not being online. I like the idea of it being in person. Here's the question, though. Would, how much traction would it get if it's not online? Because could you get your – you, what's the easiest, quickest way to get your idea to the public? Well, I'm convinced that it would gain a lot of traction quickly. And I think it not being online – I think the fact that, uh, uh, so I'm going to use a different metaphor here, but if I were a band, like a 
a modern classic rock band. Do you know what I would do? I would release it, my album on vinyl and not online, specifically to make it a higher barrier to entry because I think that would get a lot of people to go, wait, what is that? And so you wouldn't get immediate gratification, but you, you would get people. And I, I think there's something to be said for looking other people in the eye or showing up at a table where you're sharing donuts with someone. Do you see what I'm saying? True. Yeah, that's true. And it, there is something to being in the same room with somebody looking at them. Yes. You're first of all, you're a less likely to, you're a lot less likely to insult a person. Right. And, if you're staring at And them. particularly if you had rules for the group that were inclined to discourage bickering and arguments or anything approaching violence, where you just said, that's not what this is about. This is about civil debate. And if you could come out to an environment where, and maybe even where you could take the kids, where there's not going to be swearing, I'm not opposed to swearing in general. I swear in real life. But if, you know what I'm saying? If you could make it something that you could bring the kids to, that'd be great. I would agree. I would agree, especially, yeah. You let kids know that you don't have to be cruel. That's that's a good point. Because I think also being not cruel and being open to other people's views and listening. And the goal is not to come and be convinced. The goal is to come, have a discussion, and then leave. And then leave feeling good about the way you spent the time. I don't know. I just think we're at, at a nearly tipping point. And I think a lot of people, you know, I, w- I was, I consider how lucky I am. I got to talk to David Icke today, and Alex Jones said he loved me, and I'm a patriot. And But you know for a fact, wow. you know, Carmine, that a certain percentage, 30, 40 percent, would be aghast by that and would make fun of those people saying good things about me. You follow me? Of course. But I'm, a, I'm obviously, as I said, I am a uh, huge David Icke fan, so... Well, we'll set we'll set up with Rod. We'll set up for the next David Ike interview, and in fact, I'll let you take the lead uh, on it because you have questions oh. you want to answer them. So, Carmine, I'm in a position now because I had an interview that went well with David Ike of interviewing you. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm, dude, I'm so excited. I, I oh. yeah, I was just as excited. So excited. And I appreciate the new calls. He's a legend. Yes. And it was profoundly important to me. When I saw his speech a few years ago, when I first started doing political reporting, when I was a child, I thought as a child. And when I was a naive young political reporter, when I covered the John Edwards story back in 2007, I actually believe, Carmine, that the purpose of the media was to tell the truth. And I was shocked that they wouldn't cover the story because I didn't think that was what the media did. I was, it, it mocked me, go ahead. But at one point, do you remember a point when you thought the media 
its job was to tell the truth. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And what wasn't that long ago? I'm with you. And what changed your opinion? Dan Rather. Go on. The Bush Papers with Dan Rather. Oh, really? That's when I realized. And it's very hard for someone, because you obviously went into journalism because you like journalism and you grew up respecting journalism. Correct. Right. So imagine if someone spent their whole life trying to make the big leagues. Oh, by the way, I, I, and you know, I'm a Red Sox fan. So imagine how shocking this was for me. Lenny Dykstra liked a tweet I was quoted in. I don't like seeing Lenny Dykstra's name. Oh, I talk to him all the time. Well, I remember 86. I talk to Lenny all the time. It was a very bad time. Not 1986. I'm a Yankee fan. My 1986 was very bad, but but I'm honored. So imagine if you spent your whole life trying to get into the bigs, right? And when you, when you went in, you found out the whole thing was was fixed, right? It'd be very hard emotionally. Right. But a great show. Thanks again to David Ike, and thank you, Carmine. We'll say you have a David soon enough. Thank you. And thanks to all the callers. We'll see you tomorrow. Do this show name one more time, Carmine. It's The Backstory.